Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome into the NBA Morning Deuce for Tuesday. March 23rd, and we got a solo deuce, people. That's right. It's me, Joey. I am here solo for the night. Uh, as you all know, Alex, on vacation for the week, guest hosts all over the place. But as is going to happen in this business, my co-host for tonight, my guest co-host, had some engage- had something come up. So no co-host tonight. It's all good, people. It's all good because it's been a little while since it was just me and you. And tonight, it'll just be me and you. And in some ways, it's almost appropriate that it's just us because it's just me by myself because what happened tonight, what I'm going to lead off with is a story that if you listen to the podcast, you know that... I am very, uh, very close to th- this situation. Uh, the the Rockets, the twenty game losing streak. Stephen Silas, I talk about it all the time. How how close I was to him when I was in Charlotte. How happy I was when he got the job, and how hard it is to watch that team go through what they've been going through, and how hard it has been to watch him, especially after last game, after their twentieth loss struggled to even get through the post-game press conference. Well, that is, at least for the time being, no longer a – there's still major issues, but that 20-game losing streak is done. And I said yesterday on the show, I said yesterday on the show to Jabari, who was awesome, by the way. Thanks again. Jabari was incredible. I've gotten 
great responses from the listeners about Jabari. So, so happy that he came on the show and can't wait to have him back on. But I said that this would be a celebration today that if Steven Silas and the Rockets were to win a game tonight, and here it is, here I am. And there's there, how much is there to say about this team beating, not, not just beating the Raptors, but blowing them out. Uh, and I'm going to talk about the Raptors in a second because that's a whole other mess, maybe potentially even a bigger mess than what we've seen over these 20 games in Houston, which is hard to believe that a team on a nine-game losing streak could be in worse shape than a team that was on a 20-game losing streak, but I will try to explain myself in that. But it just – it's hard to explain myself just – how incredible it was to see them get this win and to see them in particular coach Silas, who I personally went through a 23 game losing streak with when we were in Charlotte together and having to watch him go through this all over again was, was awful. But here is coach after the game tonight, just talking about a little bit talking about what this game, what it meant to win this game tonight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like indescribable for a win in March of this crazy season. But I'm just so proud of the guys like when you're you're like going through it and fighting so hard and just you just see the disappointment in the in the players' faces after loss after loss after loss. And then to go in the locker room after today's game and everybody's just happy and joyous. It really I mean, it's it's super cool and and great and <clears throat> like yeah, whatever. I was down and out yesterday, it seems like a week ago right now, but, um, you know, we regroup, we come together and yeah, it feels a lot better just because I know it feels great for the players, like whatever with me, you know, but I'm just so happy for those guys that they don't have to hear about it and deal with it. And like I said, at the beginning, just kind of, trying to pick yourself up again to fight another day and pick yourself up again to fight another day and be disappointed day after day after day. And I see it in their faces. I see it in their eyes and I try to provide like stability when it comes to it. But yeah, the reason I'm happy, so happy is for those guys. That is coach Steven Silas from the Rockets after breaking or snapping their 20 game losing streak. And it's about what I would expect from coach Silas, one of the good guys in the league. And when he says that he's happiest about the players getting over this hump, I believe it. He also said at one point today that he had heard from coaches all around the league, which is not surprising to me because he's one of the most well-respected coaches in the NBA. And I'm sure people saw his press conference yesterday and wanted to let him know that they support him and want him to keep his head up. I think he's going to be okay in Houston. Uh, We are now, it's Tuesday, so we're two days away. We're about 48 hours away from the trade deadline. 
So this team could look drastically different in a couple of days. So nothing that happens with this team at the moment is overly important in terms of the future of the team, because it seems as though Victor Oladipo could probably be gone. Eric Gordon, I know teams are interested in and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's, God, it sucks so bad to lose so many games. Uh, and having been through it, it's just, there's, there's, it's hard to describe unless you've been through it, the weight that gets lifted off your shoulders. I mean, imagine me who, you know, I played such a small role for an NBA team being in the video room, but even after losing 23 games in a row, winning a game, there was a weight lifted off my shoulders. Everything is better when you're winning and everything is absolutely the shittiest thing in the world when you consistently lose. And when you lose like this over and over every single night, it's awful. So I'm happy for him and I'm happy for those guys that, you know, that they're past that point and hopefully they can put together some wins, but at least more importantly, I think for them is just to continue to be competitive and continue to win games here. And they're not going to win a ton of games, but to be competitive and show positive movement forward from one of the worst parts of many of their careers that they'll have, you know, it's 20 game losing streak is rare. It's one of the longest losing streaks in NBA history. And most of these guys will never go through something like that again. It's, it's rare to happen. So to overcome it and move forward, it's, it's a big deal for them. And it's, it's good to see. Now on the other side, the Raptors. Uh, the Raptors have now lost nine in a row. And it's an interesting situation for them because the beginning of this nine game losing streak, they were, you know, they were in a real, they had a really bad COVID situation. Six coaches were out, players were missing. Um, uh, so it was understandable that they were losing games and struggling. But now in this game, the only player that didn't play was OG Ananobi. So Fred, that means Kyle Lowry was out there. Fred Van Fleet was in there. Pascal Siakam, uh, Chris Boucher, Norm Powell. You know, everyone was there. They played every, every member of their core played in this game other than OG Ananobi. And, and maybe they're still not, hundred percent from their COVID situation. And that's possible, but uh, they lost one seventeen ninety nine to a team that had just lost 20 games in a row. This game was never particularly close. It's I think in the first half, it might've been a little close, but it seemed like in the second half, the Rockets pulled away pretty handily. The rock that the Raptors scored 13 points in the fourth quarter. That's just, you know, in, in many situations, a coach gets fired for a loss like this. And I don't, and, and I am not of the, uh, I'm not one of the proponents that I am starting to already see some people on Twitter saying, did we overrate Nick nurse? And is Nick nurse really that good of a coach? That is not what I'm saying at all. Nick nurse is not going anywhere. Nick nurse was the coach of the year. Nick nurse won an NBA championship. I think Nick nurse is locked into that team. I do think, however, that as we've talked about many times on this show, and Alex points it out all the time, particularly about Pascal Siakam, is this team overpaid to retain three guys 
that are just good players. And it's, it seems as though the reality is starting to set in for that organization that they maxed out a guy who's not a max player. They gave second or third tier money to a guy who's probably not a second or third tier player in Fred Van Fleet. He's a good player, but he's not that. They paid OG Ananobi uh, to be a two-way starter, and he's kind of just a, a defensive player who can give you some offensive production every now and then, but not much. And now they're in this predicament that it seems as though they're probably going to move Kyle Lowry before the deadline, maybe even by tomorrow or by the time you're listening to this, because this is a guy who it's noted wants to go on another championship run. And this team is not going to do that. He's on an expiring deal. They also have the Norm Powell situation who has a $10 million player option next year. And now reports are coming out that that guy could make $20 million in free agency this offseason. $20 $20 million for Norm Powell a season. Raptors can't do that. They just can't do that because Norm Powell is just another guy, just like Fred Van Fleet, just like Siakam's starting to look like. Uh, they also are going to have to pay Chris Boucher. The Raptors are, I tell you, I strangely enough, the Raptors are starting to look to me like they might be in the worst position of any of these teams because They've fallen into this trap of mediocre players, average NBA players looking really good for a not very good team. And then you get into this trap of where, well, if we don't pay them, who are we going to pay? But if we pay them, then we're going to have to overpay them to stay because it's Toronto. But we can't blow it up, can we? Because we just paid all these guys. But I, I got to be honest, it, it feels like, with this team that they need to blow it up. Like the, all of the reports surrounding Toronto and the trade deadline, which is on Thursday. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, reports and trades in this episode because they're coming out left and right. Everything this whole week is trade deadline, trade deadline, trade deadline. Everything is surrounding Kyle Lowry. Everything is where will Kyle Lowry end up? If he decides he wants to leave Toronto, Miami and Philly are the front runners and is Norm Powell part of the deal. I haven't heard anything about Toronto potentially moving on from Siakam or Van Fleet or OG Ananobi. And maybe part of that is because no one wants to take on those contracts. But if I'm Toronto right now, nothing's off the table. Nothing's off the table because you have essentially built a roster that cannot ever compete. You don't have a franchise player. Siakam is at best the second best player on a title team. We saw him probably be the third best player on a title team with Kawhi and Kyle Lowry, but you paid him to be your franchise player and it just doesn't look like he's that. And I know people get mad, especially fans of teams get mad when you, when you just make a blanket statement like that, that's not necessarily knocking Siakam to say that he's not a franchise player. Not everybody is, but teams pay guys to be like that. It happens. Teams make mistakes. He's a good player. He shows flashes of being an all-star. He's not a franchise player. He's not a max guy that's going to lead you to a championship. And you can't compete, especially the way every team in the East has gotten better. You cannot compete in this Eastern Conference with your two highest paid players being Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet. 
Fred Van Fleet got over way overpaid. He's an undersized two guard who maybe can run the point when Kyle Lowry's gone. Who's a streaky up and down scorer. It just he's so small. Find me a team with a second with a first or second best player on their roster, leading scorer on their roster, or one of their leading scorers that they're that that guy is six foot, maybe, maybe at, at his tallest. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of question marks in Toronto, a team that just a couple of years ago was a championship team, a team last year that was at least a competitive playoff team. And it's been nine, you know, they've played nine games since their COVID outbreak. It's, we're past it, man. The COVID, it, it sucks, but every team's going through it. And they're at a point now where they're going to have to look in the mirror, long, take a long look in the mirror and decide, is this a team? Because there's still some, I would imagine there's got to be some value for Siakam or some value for Van Fleet, even though it's not going to be super high because you just paid them all that money, but you got to at least consider it because this team ain't it. And this loss tonight, like I said, in a lot of situations for, for this to be the ninth loss in a row in a lot of places that I've been, that I've seen and that I've experienced, this would be a fireable loss. It probably won't happen for for Nick Nurse because he's so close to having been coach of the year and he's so close to being a championship coach and it's such an awkward season. But this is one of those, this is one of those losses. You know, we're not talking about Houston, who's a mess, who had a trade request before the season and guys are injured and all this stuff. We're not talking about the T Wolves who had a COVID outbreak and are young and fired their coach. We're not talking about Oklahoma City, who's basically playing a G League team on their roster or Detroit, who basically blew everything up. We're talking about a team that people thought was a playoff team. At least a team that just paid their max guy, a team that overpaid Fred Van Fleet. Like you can't lose by 20, 117, 190, or 117.99 to a team that just lost 20 games in a row. It's a mess. They're in bad shape, man. Really bad shape. Really bad shape. And I don't know how it's going to shake out, but gotta be. I mean, they, they gotta. They're going to have to make some type of move before the deadline. And I'd be shocked to see Kyle Lowry there much longer. So we'll see. A couple of days away. They they should be one of the teams that's active. Another team that could potentially be active is the Atlanta Hawks. In a weird way, uh, they had their win streak snap tonight. They had one nine in a row. Uh, excuse me, they had won eight in a row before this loss tonight to the Clippers. And let me double check that as I'm talking through this, but they had won, I believe it's eight in a row since Nate McMillan took over as head coach. And in this game against the Clippers, they one, two, three, four, five, six, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yes. So they had their eight game win streak snapped. They lose 119, 110 to the Clippers. Uh, but this was a really interesting game to me because for the most part, it looked like the Hawks were going to blow out the Clippers. At one point they were up by 22. Uh, they looked like their defense was back. They looked like they were clicking DeAndre Hunter played in this game for the first time in a long time. And as I've noted on this show, he is to me, one of the most valuable players, if not the most valuable player on that team, because he's their best wing defender. 
He's a great young offensive player. They really needed him. So it was good to see him back. He was on a minutes restriction. They were up 22. And then we got to tell you what, it, just the fact that they're now one-on-one, one, they beat the Lakers without LeBron and they're competitive against the Clippers is a, it's at least a good sign that maybe this, that big win streak wasn't totally fluky because of a bad schedule and that they really have turned a corner a little bit. Uh, but this game came down to Ty Lue making maybe the best coaching adjustment I've seen him make in a, in a long time, maybe ever. I don't know. Because the Clippers, they've really had issues with consistency. Kawhi Leonard mentioned it. Kawhi Leonard said, we're not consistent or whatever he said. And their starters just seem lackadaisical a lot of times, and they're up and down. He benched those dudes. And the comeback in this game was led mainly by Terrence Mann, Florida State, what up, Sweet 16, and Luke Kennard, who really hasn't been that good this year for this team but those two guys basically dominated the second half and brought back the clippers from down 22 points to come back and win this game it's a good win for the clippers uh, you know it would have been a, another a t- bad home loss to get blown out by the hawks even though the hawks have started to turn the corner a little bit um so it really interesting. It'll be interesting to see going forward with the Clippers. Is this a catalyst? Does this light a fire under those starters? It did look like in the fourth quarter, Kawhi Leonard showed some emotion, which I'm not used to seeing. So maybe this is a one of those jumpstart things. Maybe Ty Lue sent the message like, I'm done with this shit. You know, if you're not going to play hard and you're not going to try and give me effort, then I'm going to play who does. And we'll just see what happens. I don't know that that's going to last as a coach with this team, but it worked tonight. So good for Ty Lue. Uh, didn't know. I didn't know if he had it in him and he did it, but as far as the Hawks go, look, one, they, they're now eight and one since Nate McMillan took over. Now they get a, a, probably their easiest game. Well, definitely their easiest game of this West coast trip. They go to play the Kings and we see, you know, I said before this trip, if they could come out of this eight game trip at four and four, or even five and three, it's a huge win for them for a team that was struggling so badly and that fired their head coach. And with DeAndre Hunter back, I think they, they're only going to get better. And I think it's pretty safe to say they have locked themselves in as an Eastern Conference playoff team at this point. Anything's possible. It's such a logjam in those spots, but they look like a better team. As far as the deadline is concerned, you know, it does sound now like they're much more hesitant to move John Collins, which is good, which is smart, makes sense. But what, what I did see today is that they are now reportedly listening to teams when it comes to Cam Reddish and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who they signed in the offseason, which is a little strange to me because those are two guys that I think could really help your offense that's been struggling, wing scores that you really need. And then there's also a report that came out today that they are interested in Marcus Smart and Lonzo Ball. And I was thinking about that. And if it's true now, again, reports are, are what they are. We don't know what's true and what's not. And this week is a lot of false information and stuff getting leaked. But the only thing I could think is Trey Young doesn't play defense. So maybe this is an option to defend and like a better option other than Rondo because Rondo is their backup. But, you know, these are two guys that 
are both more ball dominant. Marcus Smart has played more off the ball, and he's a decent shooter. Lonzo Ball has proven to be a very good shooter. But they're both point guards, and Trey Young has not shown any propensity at all in his career to play off the ball. So I don't know what the interest is, but the only thing I can see is that they're bigger than Trey Young, and they're both very good defenders who can shoot. So it's something that they don't currently have at the point guard position because Trey Young is very small and doesn't play defense, but it wouldn't fit because those guys are starters. Now, Marcus Smart, I guess you could bring off the bench as a six man, but Lonzo Ball's a starter to me. Maybe they don't see him that way, but I think you're going to have to give up enough. Like you'd have to give up starter assets. I don't know that you'd have to give up as much to get Marcus Smart if he's even on the table, but Lonzo, I think you'd have to give up starter assets. And I just don't see a scenario where Lonzo signs an extension with a team to be a backup. So I, I don't get those reports. I haven't really understood any of the reports coming out of Atlanta. I don't understand still why there's this insistence to potentially trade John Collins, which seems has calmed down. I don't know why Cam Reddish is on the table. Maybe they've already seen enough, but he's still really young. And I don't understand why they would want Marcus Smart or Lonzo Ball. And ultimately, none of this stuff might happen. So who knows? But it just every report that's come out of Atlanta and leading up to the trade deadline has been very confusing to me, especially for a team that has now won eight of their last nine and is seemingly rolling and now gets to go play the Kings and probably get another win. So it'll be interesting to monitor them. I don't think anything's going to happen with Atlanta. I just don't. I, I think if they're not willing to give up John Collins, I don't know that teams are dying to get Cam Reddish. Now, there was a report that the Warriors are interested in Bogdanovich. So we'll see. He'd be a nice piece for them. Uh, you know, I don't know what their end game is there because they, they're just not a championship level team this year. But I guess just like with, with any, you know, stars that have had injuries and aging, you'd probably want to try to max out the potential of a Steph Curry and a Draymond as much as you can maybe, but we'll see. I don't see a whole lot going. This is all speculation on my part, but I don't see a ton happening with the Hawks before Thursdays. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Headline. Uh, elsewhere tonight, the Bucks get a blowout win over the Pacers. No Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, and also for the, the Pacers, no Brogdon and Turner. So, you know, evens out in terms of importance. Uh, huge game for Drew Holiday. So that's big for them. They need to see games like this. That's what they got him for, to be that guy, especially when Giannis can't play, which is rare, but when he can't play. But when I saw that Giannis was out, which I admittedly didn't really realize he had a, a knee sprain, it got me really thinking, like, I – this might be the strangest and take COVID out of it, take COVID out of the equation, take the, you know, you know, you know, uh, COVID protocols and quarantining and guys missing games because take that out of it, because obviously that makes it one of the weirder years ever. But from a 
just a purely injury standpoint. And maybe this was to be expected because of the short turnaround and the travel and quick games and so many. I don't remember a time where so many of the top, and I mean top, top players in the league were all injured with nagging injuries at the same time at a pivotal point in the season. Right now, we have four four top 10 players, three of which are on teams that people assume are going to be in the NBA championship. You got LeBron out with an ankle for three to four weeks and probably more, if I had to guess, with a high ankle. You got Anthony Davis with this calf thing that he's had for a while that's been lingering. We don't know when he's coming back. And you got Kevin Durant with a hamstring. And then the fourth top 10 player you got is Giannis now with a knee injury, with a, a knee sprain. Don't know when he's going to be back. I don't think it's a major thing, but anything like that could be major. You never really know. And then you have, up until now, because they're injured, the two MVP favorites, LeBron James and Joel Embiid, both out. Embiid has the ankle injury. Um, And then you could also make the argument that Giannis has played his way back into the MVP. And when Kevin Durant was healthy, he was in the MVP mix. So you're talking about four guys who were firmly in the mix to be the MVP of the league this year who are just now not playing. And we don't even know when we're going to see them again because they're nagging injuries. It is, I don't, look, that's five guys. And who knows? I don't know where you rank Joel Embiid. I don't have him as a top 10 player. Now he was playing top 10 basketball this year. So you could say five of the top 10 players in the NBA at the moment when the injuries occurred are not playing right now. It's such a, it's a huge deal because the league's wide open. It, it, it makes everything so wide open because we don't know what's going to happen with these guys. You got to assume when there's five guys injured like this on teams, you're talking about the best player on each of the top three teams in the Eastern conference, Kevin Durant, Giannis, Joel Embiid. And I talked yesterday with Jabari again about, Excuse me, not with Jabari. I talked earlier today on another show about how there's a clear upper echelon of the Eastern Conference right now, and that's Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and Philly. But if these guys have nagging injuries that come back, and Embiid's a giant who's had injury problems in the past. Kevin Durant coming off an Achilles and now has a hamstring thing. Who knows what's going to happen with him? Giannis has never had any major injuries that we know of, knock on wood, but who? But he's a big dude, and he's now he's got a sprained knee. These Three teams are the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, and their three and their best players are all out. So that means we have to we take a wait and see approach now with the Eastern Conference to really know what's going to happen. It's all a crapshoot. And then you got LeBron and Anthony Davis who are injured, and that makes the Western Conference a crapshoot because if they're healthy, no one's beating the Lakers in the NBA. Period. But these are both such nagging injuries. Who knows how they're going to be come playoff time? It's a weird thing. I don't think I can remember. Maybe other people, you know, you could tweet at the show at NBA Morning Dew so you can leave a comment, but I don't remember a year where this many top-level players with non-season-ending injuries, but injuries that could potentially impact them down the line and in playoffs and all that. And then you also add into the mix that the front runner for Rookie of the Year, LaMelo Ball, out for the season, a guy, Christian Wood, who was one of the front runners for most improved player, he missed a lot of the season. Just a weird, just a really weird year in terms of injuries in the NBA. I don't remember in recent memory a time where that happened. 
just just strange. It sucks. It it makes things more interesting, I guess, but it also it just sucks because you want to see these guys play. And hopefully it's just teams taking major precautions because of the way this year is shaken out. But it does worry me because they're all awkward injuries that seem like they could take a long time to potentially get better. Uh, elsewhere tonight on the slate, Memphis, Boston, Boston, no Jason Tatum, no Kemba Walker. Uh, Memphis pulls out the win in overtime. John Morant, great, uh, you know, a great game from him, 29 points. And potentially another nominee for dunk of the year. If you didn't get to see it, go check it out. It was an alley-oop that was nowhere near him. And he just like stretched out. It's hard to explain. You just got to go look it up, but it was a crazy dunk. Uh, Jason Tatum was sick. They didn't say anything. COVID just says out because of an illness. So I don't, uh, Brad Stevens says, I would guess it's just general illness said he was dealing with dizziness Monday morning is hopefully he'll return to the lineup soon. Kemba has been in and out of the lineup for that team. And obviously that team without those two guys, they're nothing. It took a turn back the clock game from Jeff Teague to even compete in this game. He had 20, um, he had 26 Jalen Brown had a good game, but you know, the fact that they even fought to get into overtime was impressive. It was a fun game in the end, but not surprising that Memphis pulls it out. Uh, Magic Johnson's favorite center had another big game. It's crazy. He actually, you know, the tweet that um, that Magic Johnson put out a while back about how Jonas Valanciunas has gone under the radar with his season. He's not wrong. It's like every time we, we, we talk about a Memphis game, he has a game like this, 16 points, 19 rebounds, and they get a win in overtime. It's just... I really love the scrappiness of this team and John Moran's so good. And Jonas is having a good year. It's really interesting. Uh, where are they right now in the standings? Cause they're just, I would, I just really hope that they at least get into the play and just to see jaw at that point in the year. Yeah. They're right now they have the 10th bets. So they're 10th right now. And they're four games ahead of OKC. Well, two and a half, but four games ahead in the win column in the loss column. So it looks like they'll probably be in that play-in situation, but they still got to keep winning games. But good win for them. Good win for John Morant. Uh, Charlotte won their first game tonight without LaMelo Ball. And I got to say, man, it's like it stinks that they don't have LaMelo. He's one of the most electric young players in the NBA. But they still have scary territory uh, because like clockwork, a three-point game with a minute 30 left and Terry Rozier nails a three for the rock for the Hornets with a minute 26 left, puts them up for good. They beat the Spurs hundred to 97. Good win for them continues. You know, this is going to be one of the really interesting teams to monitor because with LaMelo, the way he was playing, they'd seem like a team that was a lock to be a playoff team. Now, again, I say these, I say like lock, but in the in the East, you know, the difference between ten and four right now is two games, so nothing's really a lock. But they were playing really well. They play they play exciting basketball and they play really well in the cl- in clutch time, which obviously the Terry Rozier uh, factor is big in that. But it will be interesting to see how they go with 
without LaMelo the rest of the season, can Devontae Graham get some of the form back that almost, that should have gotten him most improved player last year? He's been a little up and down this year. Maybe part of that is, you know, lack, you know, a little less of a role because of LaMelo. So can he get back to that form? And does that form make them as good as they've been playing? They're still a 500 team. They're a sixth seed in the, in the East. It's a good win for them. Uh, and, and we'll see. I mean, I, I think most people that watch the NBA on a regular basis are rooting for this team because they've been one of the most fun teams to watch in the NBA this year. So uh, good. And, and also, you know, interestingly enough is if they keep winning games, if they keep winning games, I guess the question will then become also is LaMelo rookie of the year. That'll be factored into it. Tyrese Halliburton had 28 tonight. Anthony Edwards has regressed a little bit, which I could probably talk about briefly, even though those games both stunk. Um, but yeah, I mean, Terry Rozier has just been an exciting player and we just talked about Boston and I'm going to keep saying it. You think Boston could use Terry Rozier right now? Yeah, I think so. Um, a couple other games to talk about just to get through real quick. No, no other real exciting ones. The Thunder beat the T-Wolves. Um, and, you know, I talk a lot of shit on here about the Thunder and about how they're basically playing a G League team and, you know, and how their roster construction, how I don't really love the way they've done done it. But I got to give my hats off. I watched the first half of that game and, look, they are playing a G League team. It's, it's just flat out. It is, it is what it is. They're playing, other than Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the rest of this team is not, shouldn't be good. Man, they play their asses off. They play so hard. Uh, you could tell everyone is playing for their lives on that team. And the Ty Jerome, Sfi Mikhailuk, uh, Kendrick Williams, they all, they just play so hard for that team. Ty Jerome has really, I loved him coming out of Virginia, was on Phoenix, gets traded to Oklahoma City. Looked like maybe he was going to be a bust. He's playing pretty good basketball for them now. Playing good on a bad team. What does that mean? We don't know. Uh, they got this kid, Moses Brown, who's 7'2", who I'd never heard of until a couple games ago. He's just become a, a, a rebounding machine. He had 17 more rebounds tonight. And then the kid, Pokushevsky, who Alex said looks sickly, uh, probably partially because he's the youngest player in the NBA. He's the, They said on the broadcast today, he's the only player in the NBA who was born after 9-11. It's insane. It makes me feel super old, but he's a seven footer who's knocking down threes and rebounding and dribbling the ball and blocking shots. He's got a real high upside. You know, he does look real awkward. And they also had one of them. If, I guess we'll see. I'm assuming if they're shacked in a fool at some point this week, we will see this. Theo Maladon, who's their first round pick, who's their starting point guard now, had a, part, a point in the game where he got a steal, missed a wide open transition layup, got his own rebound went by himself with no one around went to dunk it and missed the dunk. So that'll get replayed a lot. People are making fun of that on Twitter. Uh, for the T-Wolves, tough loss. It, the, the OKC wins 112-103. Uh, and Anthony Edwards has kind of regressed over the last couple of games, and it's understandable. It's, it's going to be an up and down. He went on a tear to come out of the break, and then these last couple of games, he hasn't looked great. And that's kind of the difference is that they were winning some of those games because he was playing out of his mind. This one, he goes 6-16 six to 16 for 16 points. Carl Anthony Towns still playing great, 33-10. and 10. But uh, as it is, with their with their probably their two best scorers, out, not named Towns and Edwards, D'Lo still not playing, Beasley still in suspension. 
they need Edwards to play the way he was playing after the break. And he's just sort of not, I wouldn't say regressed. I would just say you know, rookie season. He's going to have good games. He's going to have bad games, but if he's not clicking, then this team will struggle and they struggled. They lose to OKC. It is what it is when you're a team like this, the losses are probably better for you in the long run at this point in the year. You know, you want to win some games, but franchise wise, you also want to get some of those picks. Uh, the last couple games tonight, Jazz get a blowout win over the Bulls. Not a whole lot to talk about there. That's an understandable game. Kings beat the Cavs, which I mentioned. Notable from that game, Tyrese Halliburton, big game, 28 points. Him and Darren Fox. Halliburton starts this game. Um, he They combine for 58 points. Rashawn Holmes, 17 and 16. It, it, it's so weird. You know, Luke Walton's still coaching this team. They're still playing hard. And... You know, they, you know, they have games like this, even though they're playing against, um, you know, they're playing against Cleveland, who's a very bad team right now. But they look so, they look decent. They just look so decent. And you wonder, like, why they couldn't have, you know, they are three and a half games back of the 10, which would get them into the play. I don't know if it's going to happen but it's not out of the realm of possibility. None of the teams ahead of them are Pelicans are struggling. Thunder are not very good. Grizzlies are up and down. Warriors are better than them should be, but who knows? Would it be that shocking with this roster with Darren Fox and Halliburton and Barnes playing the best basketball, maybe since he was in golden state to see them in the play. And it's probably surprising to a lot of people, but I wouldn't be shocked. This is a team that should be fighting for that. Luke Walton, they, they were the worst defensive team in NBA history for a while this year. Looks like they've started to get get it going a little bit. Maybe they have a favorable schedule. I haven't really looked at it. And I and I kill the Kings all the time, but five and five in their last 10, they're playing some decent basketball. Uh, and yeah, if, if Halliburton plays games like this, he has a legit shot to jump into that rookie of the year conversation, potentially win it. So that's interesting there. And then... The latest actually from when, as far as the trade deadline goes, there was a trade in the NBA tonight. Uh, my guy, Fiondu Cabangele, former first round pick of the, of the Los Angeles Clippers and former Florida State Seminole was traded by the Clippers to the Kings for a second round pick, I believe. Uh, and not really a notable trade, but, but interesting in the sense in in this reasoning only if they like Kevin Kelly and they value him and they're going to give him an opportunity to play could this mean the end for Hassan Whiteside in Sacramento and if so Fiondu Kevin Kelly would be the catalyst to get Sacramento into the plan I will say this right now if they move Hassan Whiteside or they wave Hassan Whiteside, pencil it in. Don't don't write it in pen. Pencil it in. Kings in the play. And maybe now that they got another center on their roster to back up Rashawn Holmes, who looks great, maybe that gives them the flexibility to get rid of Hassan Whiteside or maybe trade him. Maybe somebody wants him. I wouldn't touch him, but hey, maybe that's what it is. Only played 12 minutes in this game. They still won, but uh 
yeah, maybe that's what this is. Maybe it gives him the flexibility to move on. And he's a young – Kevin Gilly's a talented young center. He just never really got a chance to play in, in the with the Clippers, and maybe they just – they didn't like him. Maybe he was – didn't work out. Obviously didn't work out. But So we'll see, but I thought that was really interesting. And then the the biggest news in terms of the trade deadline and other than the, the rumors that we talked about earlier in the show – Aaron Gordon requested a trade from the Magic today. There's been speculation about him potentially being moved for a while now. There's actually been speculation about every player on the Magic being moved, but this is a guy that I think it was sort of assumed he's really never really lived up to the expectation that they had hoped with him. He's got tons of upside, all the upside in the world, and I think a lot of teams will be super interested in him. Supposedly the Celtics are very interested in him. The Celtics were also really, I guess, pursuing John Collins, which it doesn't sound like. So if you're not going to get John Collins, I guess Iron Gordon's a good consolation if you have the right package of, uh, uh, to give to them. So supposedly the Rockets were in discussion too, and I don't know if, they, if that was part of the Old Depot thing. Seems like a weird move for the Rockets, although Christian Wood and Aaron Gordon are interesting for upside and whatnot. T-Wolves, Nuggets, or other teams reported. I like Aaron Gordon. Super athlete, just hasn't really found his niche in Orlando, but he's shooting 40% from three this year. He, he defends, uh, he can handle the ball. He's a nice piece. I, you know, I think any team would probably be good. It's just a matter of what are they going to ask for? I'm assuming a young player and maybe a pick, uh, maybe a couple picks because he does, he is a high upside guy and he was expected to be like an all-star level guy for them. So it's a matter of how desperate our teams you know, I, I think if I'm Boston, I'm pretty desperate. We need talent. And I, I don't know what young player they would take with a pick for Aaron Gordon, but he'd be really good for the Celtics. He'd be good for a lot of teams, but they desperately need front court help. Uh, so that'll be worth monitoring because he did request a trade, and I'd be surprised if they didn't move on from him. Again, two days away from the deadline. That's really the biggest, that and the Kyle Lowry stuff that's come that's been talked about today are really the biggest ones. The Oladipo situation is still lingering out there. Uh, we're still waiting to see what happens with Drummond, who will probably get bought out. We're still waiting to see what happens with Marcus Aldridge, who seems like he's probably going to get bought out. There's going to be a lot, um, a lot going on the next couple of days. I'm going to have Dan Favalli, the host of Hardcore. Knox, I got, got, I, I'm ashamed of myself. I, yeah, hardwood Knox. He, I always get confused with that pod. It's one of, from Bleacher Report. Hardwood Knox, one of the co-hosts. He's going to come on tomorrow as as my co-host for the night. And I'm sure there will either be some trades or there will be more trade deadline talk to have. We got great co-hosts coming up the next three days. So stick stick around. I appreciate you guys listening. And before I wrap up. Uh, I talked about this earlier today on another show, but obviously I think it's it's something that you, you got to you'd be remiss to not at least mention. Um, the Deuce sends thoughts and prayers to the family and friends and the people close in the NBA to Elgin Baylor, uh, a legend in in the National Basketball Association, passed away today, eighty six. Well, not today, yesterday, now, but. 86 years old, a guy who probably, 
you know, if you're relatively new to the game, you don't know a ton about him because he played a long time ago. But if you're really a hardcore fan or a historian of the game, you know the impact that he had. He's the third leading points per game scorer in NBA history behind Michael Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain. And he was like the, the, the first real, he was one of the first real like wing athlete above the rim. He was like the prelude to the type of wing players that we see today that essentially dominate the league. Uh, so he, he, you know, he's one of the really, the, the game changers in NBA history. He was also the one, an executive for the Clippers for years, uh, notably the executive of the year in 2006 and probably more notably had lawsuits against the organization after he was let go for he, you know, alleged racism and, and ageism. He ended up dropping some of those suits, but now looking back hindsight being what it is with that owner, who knows what that guy, what Elgin Baylor had to go through working for that organization for 20 years. So, you know, sad, but, you know, legend in the game, thoughts to all of his family and the people that are close to him and um you know rest in peace elgin baylor and uh that'll do it for tonight solo deuce got one more one more in the can it's been a it's been a while i appreciate you guys sticking it out with me 46 minutes of my voice if you're here till the end man you are you're one of the hardcores and i really 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 appreciate all of you uh think there's going to be some interesting things coming from the deuce in, in, in the coming weeks. I know I say that a lot, but because it's ever evolving, it's an ever evolving program. And I think these next couple episodes will be really fun with these guest hosts, Dan Favalli tomorrow, Ty Windish uh, from blue wire on, on uh Thursday. And then um, Ruben Palacios, the sneaker King from CBS sports will be for Friday's episode. So it'll be a fun couple days. Stick around. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Later.